Off the Books episode of the All the Books show, recorded at the David A. Howe Public Library. We talk book news, author news, and literary news. Today, though, it is an author interview. That's right. Today, we're going to sit down with author J.M. DeMatteis to talk about his very, very vast career uh, writing both DC, Marvel, uh, Dark Horse. He's all A whole over bunch the place. of different independent lines as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Nick Gunning. I'm Eric Michaels. Uh, and and tell me tell me a little bit about your history with this author. Do you remember some of the early things that you read by him? It, it probably was Craven's Last Hunt. Okay. Um, For me, I think it probably was. He has a pretty legendary Justice League run, which we didn't we don't actually talk about in the interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about we talk about some of the more villainous uh, characters that he's written mm-hmm. primarily. But it was it was Justice League, and then he wrote this one called Green Lantern Will World, which is a trippy trippy book. Mm. And uh, after our discussion and and doing more of a deep dive into his his work, mm-hmm. uh, it totally makes sense. Green right. Lantern Will World to me. I also loved as a kid. Um, Superman speeding bullets. Are you familiar with this? This is where... Oh, this is the Superman is raised by the... The Waynes. The Waynes. Yes, and becomes sort of like a a hybrid Superman-Batman. Right. And it's so interesting the way he writes this book because it all totally tracks. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes perfect sense yeah. the way this character works out. So mm-hmm. that that's a really fun book. So I was fascinated by that when right. I was a kid. You know, and he's, he's got a couple of Elseworlds tales. Uh, Super, mm-hmm. Supergirl Fallen Angels 1, which we talk a little bit about in the interview. Right. Um, but yeah, and then more recently, as we were as we were getting into this, uh, I've been reading a lot of Green Lantern. Yeah. And so I just naturally bumped up against mm-hmm. his, his run on Larfie, yeah. Larflees. Uh, and that cracked me up. Yeah. I mean, that, that whole run is a lot of fun. You didn't uh, want to read Larflees. No, were, I didn't. You I were didn't, fighting it. I didn't originally but then like i just he showed up in a couple of different books and they kept being like lar freaking fleas mm-hmm. it's just cracking me up so i was like okay i'll do it so yeah read the lar fleas run had a great time read some of his marvel stuff too it was it was a real it was a real privilege to sit down and chat with him yeah. so uh, let's get into it this morning eric and i are joined by author jm de Mateus. we're going to be talking to him about his work uh, joker going sane and work through his whole back catalog which is pretty exciting i've got to say so uh, thank you for joining happy us. happy to morning. be here we thought since Joker's in the news right now with uh, with the big movie and it's sort of what everybody's talking about at the moment, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the the story you wrote called Going sure. Sane, uh, which which deals with um, well the Joker finding sanity once uh, once Batman's out of the picture. So could you just talk a little bit about how that came about and uh, how you got going with that? Yeah, story? that story evolved over quite a bit of time. Um, originally, I don't know if people are familiar with a story I did called Craven's Last Hunt, but that's that story sure. actually started as a Batman pitch. And the original idea was that that Joker uh, appears to kill Batman, bury him alive. And then what was going to happen after that, since Joker has now completed his life's work and killed Batman, his mind snaps. Well, if our minds snap, we go insane. Since he's insane, his mind snaps and he goes sane and he creates a, mm-hmm. he creates a normal life for himself and, and so on and so on. And um, I pitched that to DC and... I, I think the reason at the time was they were in the process of developing the killing joke. And they thought oh, there were okay. some similarities, which there really aren't between the two stories. So mine got shuttled right. aside. So I went away for like a year and I rejiggered the story and came back throughout the Joker, put in uh, Hugo Strange, and they rejected my story again. Um, <laughs> and at the time, this, this is like, uh, it must be 84 or something like that. The, the reason they rejected it was because they were only doing like one Batman graphic novel a year, you know? <laughs> so oh, it was like, okay. the answer was, we've already got our graphic novel for the year, try again next year. Then in the meantime, you know, <laughs> passed, I went and I did Craven's last time, but I always had this idea in the back of my head about the Joker snapping and going sane. So, you know, flash right. forward to the 90s, 
and uh, DC had a great book called Legends of the Dark Knight, which was basically standalone stories where you could jump at any point into Batman's history. Um, so I right, yeah. so I pitched them the basic idea for going sane, along with uh, asking Joe Staten uh, if he would be interested in trying it, and 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 we were off. And and, and it, it remains in terms of stories that I've done for Marvel and DC mainstream superhero stories among my you know two or three favorite stories that I've ever done. Um, it was a chance to take the Joker and shine a very different kind of light on him because yeah. most of the story he is not the Joker. He is this sweet. Mm-hmm innocent nerdy guy uh who's obsessed with um old radio and old movies and silent comedians and he meets this woman Mm -hmm. who lives in his apartment building and they fall in love while while batman has a whole separate story going on and uh, (laughs) and it becomes this great tragedy because he believes that batman is dead and once batman returns and this is right after he's asked this woman to marry him so he's on the verge of this wonderful life and uh he snaps back and uh, yeah. that that is that is uh, the tragedy. But and, meanwhile, Batman has another story where you know he's re- in in essence questioning his own sanity about being Batman in the first place. And mm-hmm. and so you know a lot of people think it's just about the Joker going sane, but by the end, it's about Batman getting rooted in himself and not you know and realizing that he is grounded, he is sane, and he's doing the right mm-hmm. thing in Batman. Right. Sure. So it's 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 really yeah, it's, a story that I'm, I'm really very proud of still. Yeah, well, we both enjoyed it, and it, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of these nice little details, like as you mentioned with with Joker having his obsession with you know the early days of, of comedy and all that. I really like that touch because I thought you know when you think about like vaudeville and, and comedy of that early era, it's, it's so big and garish and outlandish that it it makes total sense that the Joker would be inspired by that <laughs> right. sort of thing. So is that right. kind of what you were playing? Yeah, with and there? and you know Chaplin and Keaton and all these classic clowns yeah. because he is right. he's a clown. He, you know, you know, mm-hmm. there's, he's played a lot. But, you know, the great thing about these characters is that Batman included, you can tilt them a lot of different ways, you know. And I, I like mm-hmm. the Joker not just as a psycho but as a psycho who's playing out the role of a comedian, you know. And so it made perfect sense to me that he, he would love these com- comedy icons. He would idolize them, you know. Um, mm-hmm. there's, and Joe Staten did some great stuff. There's a scene, I think, early on in the movie theater where he's doing – some terrible things, but on the screen behind him, we have a Charlie Chaplin movie uh, playing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joe yeah. did a beautiful job with. And it's just, it, you know, mm-hmm. and I am also a fan of those same things. I love classic movies and classic comedy and, and old radio from like the 30s and 40s, um, which I discovered years ago when my local NPR station started playing these old radio shows and I fell in love with them. Um, and it just made sense to me, you know, and, and that he met this woman that they would, you know, they're in contemporary day, they'd be sitting around at night listening to like a 1948 recording of a Jack Bank mm-hmm. radio show, you know, um, it just seemed perfect to me. Well, you, you've mentioned Craven's Last Hunt. And so the Spider-Man story, Craven's Last Hunt, and then the Batman story, Joker going sane, they both involve the villain winning or at least thinking that they've won. Right. Uh, what is it about that theme that you... It, you explored it with multiple characters. So, what, what about that theme attracted you? To you know, in 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 Craven's case, he actually, in his own mind, at least, he really did win, because he, you know, right. he, he his goal was not to 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 kill Spider Man. It was to 
it was to bury him alive for those weeks so that he could then go out and prove that he was a better Spider-Man than Spider-Man was. You know, right. he didn't. Yes. <laughs> he, he wanted to. Bo- he wanted to kill him and essentially let him know that he w- had been killed, and that not only that, right. I'm better at this than you are, which of course he wasn't. Sure. You know, um, <laughs> you know. So it, with Craven, it's more a question of 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 his ego involved in that. You know, with Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a much more uh, which is funny a funny thing to say with a character like that but it's a much more tender story, um, mm-hmm. okay. and it was a, with Joker it was a chance you know to look at that at that dynamic and the fact that without Batman would the Joker even exist, you know Craven mm-hmm. go, will go on to be you know well and in a way actually looking at it discussing it now I never thought about it in a way it is the same thing because once Craven thinks he's one, and I hope this isn't a spoiler for a thirty year old story. He takes his own sure, yeah. he takes his own life, you know, because right. he's complete in his insane mind. He thinks he is complete, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the threads that that's important in that Craven story is that it is also a story about inherited mental illness. His mother died in a mental institution, and his last words mm, before right. he kills himself are, "They said my mother was insane." So there were some people when the book came out that thought somehow we were glorifying suicide, and it was not what it was at all. It was very <laughs> clear in in our minds creating the story. Yeah. That that you know, Craven. Well, this is not a well human being, you know. Um, right. But so yeah, there are you know. I never really thought about the similarity in the themes, other than the fact that they both came out of the the same original idea, you know, this original right. Batman idea, and then I one one sprouted off and became Spider Man, and one sort of mm-hmm. took its time and then became this other other story. And it's interesting because they are two 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 of the best stories I've ever done, and they do share similar themes. <laughs> and yet, what's what's wonderful about these characters is you can play with the same themes. But they play out so differently because the characters right. in their worlds are different. Peter Parker is not Bruce Wayne, uh, and right. and the Joker is not Craven, for that matter. If, if Batman's gone, what happens to the Joker? That's a pretty obvious question that you'll have to ask. But why Craven? I guess for Spider-Man because he's he's got a plethora of villains uh, and a lot more personal villains than Craven. So why why did Craven become the the villain for this last Hunt story? Craven became the villain by accident, actually. <laughs> um, Okay. I had another villain in place, you know, because I the second time I had pitched it to DC with Batman, and I had <laughs> I had Hugo Strange in there, another classic Batman. Villain. Right. And uh, and so when I was developing the story at Marvel, I, I'd been hired to to write one of the Spider-Man books. This is before we decided to to run one story through through all the Spider-Man books um, with Craven. Um, and I thought, oh, why don't I create a Marvel Universe analog to uh, Hugo Strange? So I created this new villain, and the editor loved the character and. Honestly, to this day, I don't remember anything about it or, or who he was. <laughs> or, and one day, I always say, these are, the, okay. these are the days before the Internet. So writers had to really work hard to find ways to waste time and avoid work. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> I was sitting in my office, and I had a stack of comics, and that stack was uh, the Handbook of the Marvel Universe. So I was flipping through it, okay. and I came across the entry for Crip, who was a Spider-Man villain who I had – Zero interest in. Never was never a favorite character of mine. I always mm-hmm. thought he was kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. This guy with his leopard print pedal pushers, <laughs> you know, hunting right. Spider Man, yeah. and yeah, and Sunny Bono vest. Right, that's exactly right. His Sunny Bono vest. Not a lot of people will get that, but I certainly get it. Um, and, and, um, and there was just this throwaway line in there, which. I don't think it had ever been in a story. I have a feeling that whoever was writing this entry in the Marvel Universe handbook uh, just made it up. Uh, and it said that Craven, <laughs> Craven was Russian. And, you know, one of my favorite mm. writers, uh, 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 high, very high in my pantheon, is, is Dostoevsky. You know, devoured him as a teenager, reread him as an adult. Um, 
Brothers Karamazov, Crime and Punishment, The Idiot, all these great books. And and so I read that and, and I suddenly clicked into Craven through the lens of the Russian soul. That sort of Dostoevskian split, that passion, mm-hmm, the duality, mm-hmm. that whole thing. And it was like in a flash, it was like, oh, I know who this guy is. And I threw out the other <laughs> villain that I'd created and I called up my editor and said, it's going to be Craven, and he was like, "But I like the other guy." You know, I said, "No, it's going to be." Craven. <laughs> and then, you know, Mike Zek right. was involved in that story as well, and and we needed a character to, um, to kind of draw the contrast between Spider-Man and Craven. And so I reached back to when Mike and I were doing Captain America together, and pulled out a character that we created together called Vermin, and used brought him into the story, and that's how mm-hmm. Vermin came into the story. You mentioned you mentioned dealing with Craven and his mother, and that and that that whole that whole process. Yeah. You 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 go a little deep there with with the mental illness aspect of that, and I'm wondering, you know, how do you approach that as as a writer? Like, what what do you think the responsibilities there are when when you when you're talking about something serious like that? You know, because there's there's ways to do that where it's just like, oh, this person's crazy, isn't that funny? Or or something right. like you did, where where you make it, you know, a, a serious issue. Well, you know. Um... When I approach any of these characters, especially these characters that have been around for a long time, at that you know, Craven's been around even longer now, but at that point, this was the late 80s, he's been around since the 60s. And I look at these characters, and my first question is always, why? You know, mm-hmm. why do they do what they do? Why does this guy put on his Sonny Bono vest and his leopard print <laughs> pants and decide he wants to hunt down Spider-Man? What is in his past? And wait a minute, he was in the jungle, but he's Russian? And, you know, so that just gets me going. And I would say I like to, you know, saw off the top of the character's head, get a flashlight, and start rooting around inside and see what made this person this way. And so in exploring uh, Graven's psyche and coming up with my own answers as to why he was the way he he was, that's where the backstory with his mother and the inherited insanity and all that came from. Um, okay. And so I just sort of follow the characters, you know? It's not like, oh, I'm going to do a story about mental illness or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to story story about this person. It's a person, you know? They're, they have to become, as a writer, they have to become real to you they can't be a character they have to be a person and and how does your perspective in your approach change when you're when you're coming from a villain's standpoint versus a hero because i know the ones we've mentioned of course but also your two-faced crime and punishment right. the larflees run i mean you, you do a lot with villains looking at them from a very like sort of a, a more humane approach like looking at where this is coming from so what is that like for you when your protagonist is really the villain. Right. You know, well, as, as many people have said before me, in the villain's mind, the villain isn't walking around thinking, hmm, I'm a villain, you know? It's like, you know, in sure. the early days of comics where we were the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, they didn't think of themselves right. as evil yeah. mutants, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, we're evil. No, you know, you know, I'm sure there is some truly warped soul out there who, who embraces the idea of being evil, but I think most people that do evil things in their lives do not think of themselves as evil. So really, in a lot of ways, the approach to the hero and the villain are exactly the same. And it has to be exactly the same. You have to approach them mm-hmm. 
with people and in, and in, in a weird way in order to understand them you have to approach them with compassion and understand where sure. they came from and what it is that made them the way they are nobody is completely evil nobody is completely good we all contain all these different things and on one hand in exploring the villains it's a way to explore ourselves and our own darker impulses mm -hmm. and the parts in ourselves where god if i would have taken one step to the left that day i could have done something mm -hmm. i might have really regretted in my life you right. know except these guys Right. These guys, they take that step and, and, and they go over that line. And then once they go over, they keep right. going over it. And maybe in their mind, there's not even a line there. And they, they're doing it, you know, because they think they're doing the right thing um, for whatever well, reason. I think what and I think what's what makes Going Sane such a successful story is that, you know, you're really you're really looking at two different characters when you're looking at the Joker, you know, yes. because, as you said, he's a different person for most of this. And, you know. I, I came to be like rooting for that person, you know, like I wanted, I wanted that person to succeed. I wanted him to like leave that behind and move on and be happy. And so, you know, that, that I think gives it a real hook to the story. So is that kind of what you were, is that what you were playing with there? Yes, giving you this absolutely. Kind of a tease you of, want the reader to care yeah. passionately about the characters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's the point of doing that story if you don't care about what the Joker has become, if you don't care about him building this life and falling in love and, and you know, what's interesting about the Joker is, is despite this movie that's just come out, there's never been a definitive uh, origin story. Origin, of who yeah. Who yeah. he really is, you know? We know he's some guy who fell in a vat of acid, but who was he before that moment, you know? And, and that's what's so interesting about him. So I, I don't claim, even in the story, that that who he becomes is who he was before. And if anything, who he becomes is perhaps who he wishes he was, you know? And you want, want okay. to care about him so that moment comes when he snaps back and, and there's a, you know, a shot of him at the end uh, back in Arkham Asylum laughing like a loon and it's supposed to be heartbreaking because you, you, he doesn't right. know. He doesn't even remember what he's been through, but you as the reader, you know. Right. And somewhere there's this right. woman sitting alone weeping for her lost love, you know? And mm -hmm. um, and you want the reader to feel that. And, and the same thing with Craven. You know, you, 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 you want the reader, by exploring the character's psyche, you want the reader to care about them. I always say, you know, before I did that story, if someone would have said, hey, we're going to do a story and we're going to kill off Craven at the end, I think a lot of readers would have said, yeah, so what? So the trick mm -hmm. is, over those six issues to make the reader care passionately about that character. So the moment comes when he dies, the reaction has to be, oh my God, they killed Craven. But don't do this. Right. I love that character, you know? You right. want people to care. Yeah. You have to, or else what's the point of writing the story in the first place? It, you know, it's not just about plot. You know, plots come and go, but, you know, it's, it's the people that we care about. Well, then I also have to ask, as you mentioned, uh, you know, there might be some characters out there who are, you know, just evil and enjoying being evil. Uh, you don't then consider Joker in that category. Well, you know, the re I guess one of the reasons for that story was, you know, to just write the Joker as as the as the whack job, you know, uh, mm -hmm. is fun up to a point. But for me as a writer, it's it's a very uh, near point, you know, Um Right. To just is that's why you know there's there's a I don't know whether they've developed him over the years because I'm not up on the stories but you know certainly back in the 90s we had Carnage in, in the Spider-Man books and Carnage right. was basically yes. portrayed <laughs> as just unfettered lunacy and violence and brutality. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not interesting to me. 
after you know you you know you can use it here and there as a symbol for certain things that are you know wrong in all of us it's it's the embodiment of our own worst impulses or whatever but after a certain mm-hmm. point if there's not a person there to explore for me now other people might right. find those characters fascinating and find ways to really make that gripping for me it it, it mm-hmm. just doesn't after a certain point it doesn't work even you know when i was writing captain america and you had the red skull who was certainly as much of an embodiment of evil and depravity as you're going to find right. i wanted to explore and see what his backstory was so i created a backstory that we had never seen before that you know doesn't make him as the red skull um you don't you don't uh, oppose what he stands for anymore but you have an understanding you know and for me that applies to life that's the only way we can get around in life you know it's so easy especially these days when everything is so divisive to divide the world mm-hmm. into heroes and villains and good guys and bad guys but everybody you know everybody has a backstory you know in comics mm-hmm. and in real life we all have our backstory and the people that are twisted and doing these really awful things are also people and it's really hard to forget that it's hard for all of us it's certainly hard for me to forget that when i'm seeing something political on tv <laughs> and yelling at the screen you know but that right, you know yeah. if i can find the heart and soul in the joker or the red skull that i hope i can find the heart and soul in the people i may oppose politically as well you know and, and it applies right. it applies to life across the board i've noticed going back through there there's there's a depth to your stories where you, you seem to find this sort of existential crisis or um, you know, they just, they often will go in, in ways that as, as a comic book reader, I'm not expecting. So I always kind of enjoy that because, um, you know, they, they go a different route. Sometimes they just get downright trippy uh, in a fun way. And I'm just wondering, like, is that something that you that you like to pull out of stories? Yeah, you know, it, we don't do, you know, in the beginning, we, we don't, whatever themes, uh, you know, all, all, all writers, all artists of any, in you know, in any uh, art form have their themes that obsess them, you know, and mm-hmm. and in the beginning, it's not conscious, but they just kind of come spilling out of us. But, you know, for me, it's always about the search for meaning on some level. Uh, mm-hmm. Who am I or who are you? You know, why am I here? Why are you here? Um, and and it's, it could be the psychological search. It could be an emotional search or it could be the more cosmic spiritual search. But those mm-hmm. are the, you know, th- those are the main themes that tend to run through everything I, uh, I do. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I want to understand under, trying to understand these characters that we're talking about is a way of understanding myself and my place in the world, not just Craven's place or the Joker's place or Batman's place or Spider-Man's place, but myself. You know, and as a writer, all these stories are therapy. We're all, you know, I always talk about, you know, when I wrote Craven, it was like a really, really, really rough time in my life. And I think it's one of the reasons why that story has continued to resonate because all the pain in there was really real. And and in a way, the three main characters, Peter, Craven, and Vermin, were all aspects of my own psyche and struggle. Now, I wasn't thinking about that when I was writing it. I only see that Mm -hmm. looking back, you know. but, you know, in a lot of ways, writing is therapy and a way to help me understand myself and my place in the world and also to express my ideas about, uh, to, to steal a phrase, life, the universe and everything, because those are the mm-hmm. things that interest me. You know, who am I? Why am I here? You know, what is the meaning of this? Is there a God? What is reality? Who am I? All these big questions, you know, <laughs> and they are they are right. they are the fundamental questions as far as I'm concerned. You know, other people, they might be motivated uh by political issues or, or, or social issues. And, and that's great because we all have our obsessions. But my obsessions tend to come 
uh, from the inside out. It's about our psychology, our emotion, and our and our spiritual life, and and trying to 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 find the answers in there. Yeah, I think the spirituality of it is. I mean, that, that's a good term for it because I, you know, I kept I kept seeing that thread, and of course, it's 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 a forefront in something like Supergirl, Fallen mm-hmm. Angel, or, or something like that. We were we were really like going for it, and so it's it's interesting to know that that's you're saying that's kind of your way of working through your own thoughts. And right, concerns. and also you know sharing whatever little answers I may have found along the way. You know, because um, we're all. Sure. You know, I, I am as passionate a reader as I am a writer, so I love reading stuff that I feel like illuminates my mind and nourishes my soul in some way. And if in some way over the years my stories have done the same for some somebody else out there, some other passionate reader out there, you can't ask for anything more. You know, the, those moments when uh, I get an email or a letter or I'm at a convention and someone comes up to my table to tell me, hey, this story really impacted my life in a profound way. Uh, made me see the world differently, helped me through a really difficult time, it opened my my spiritual inner eye in some way. You can't ask for anything more than that as a writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very powerful. Uh, were, were there specific stories you read growing up that, you know, inspired you to then write those kinds of stories as well? well? Well, you know, all the writers that I really loved impacted me that way, whether it's Dostoevsky or Ray Bradbury or J.D. Salinger or... Kurt Vonnegut, or just, you know, the the spiritual readings I've done over the years, whether it's, you know, reading about Hinduism or Buddhism or Christianity or whatever it is, you know, um, all those things resonate in my heart and soul. And they, you know, then there's the flip. Do they, you know, or do they, I always ask this question about the things in our lives that excite us. Did they influence mm-hmm. us and create us? Or is there something in our souls that we know that we respond to in that work? Do you know what I mean? Are you responding mm-hmm. to those themes in somebody's work because those are the things that excite you to begin with? Or does reading that work make those themes excite you? Do you know? It's, it's an interesting right. thing. I wrote an essay some years ago about The Twilight Zone, which when I was a kid, uh, and I still love The Twilight Zone. I think it's the best TV oh, yeah. series yeah, ever as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but, you know, I was watching those shows when I was like six years old. And mm-hmm. and my view of the universe hmm. is a very kind of Twilight Zone view in the fact that if you look at the Twilight Zone, yeah. one interpretation is that the universe is alive, that we interact with it, and that it has things to say to us. And sometimes it, it, it enlightens us, and sometimes it kicks us in the ass, you know? Um, and and mm-hmm. so did I, as a six-year-old, did I respond to that uh, because it was, it was imparting to me a view of the universe that excited me? Or was there some place in my soul where I had that view of the universe and seeing it? Seeing the Twilight Zone made me go, ah, that's Mm -hmm. truth, and that's the kind of path I want to follow. And, you know, I think the answer is probably both things. But I think we come into life with certain truths that we know, regardless, and we respond in art Hmm. to to things that illuminate those truths and help us to see those truths that we already know, and then through the art they expand them and deeper them and help us see them from different viewpoints. It sounds like connecting with your audience is, is a really, you know, a, a rewarding thing for you and, and a lot of um, why you're into this. Could you tell us a little bit about your the writing workshops sure. that you do, your, your sure. Imagination sure. Workshops? Sure, It's called Imagination uh, 101, and we also do a 201. Um, I don't do them as often as I'd like to. I started doing them, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, and I have one coming up in November. It's the first one I've done probably in a couple of years. But a few years back, I was, I was doing a, a little talk at the Museum of Comic Art in New York City. And in the course of the evening, talking about my career, you end up having to verbalize things that you do intuitively as a writer. 
And and I suddenly realized, you know, after doing this for so long, there's a lot of stuff I know, you know. And I, and I would love to share that, you know, to take what we just spent, you know, two hours just talking about in a random way and focus it into a weekend. And, and right, and to reach out to people um, the way that certain people reached out to me when I was starting out in the business and, 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 and shared their wisdom with me. And it's, it's a great thing, and I, I'm sorry I don't do them more, but I'm really looking forward to the one in November because people come in and, and you know, I, I, like in the, in the workshop coming up, I think I've got people ranging from like 20 years old to 60 years old who are all creative mm. in some way, who are all looking for something to sort of light that spark and, and help them move forward in some way with their creativity. And so it's, a, it's an entire weekend. We start on a Friday night and go through Sunday afternoon. And, and it's intimate. I try to keep it to at most like 10 or 11, 12 people at most. You know? Okay. Um, and we have a great weekend together. And, and I impart uh, whatever wisdom I have. But in, in, in dealing with questions that come back at me in, and having to uh, um, form opinions and, and express things that I've known intuitively for years, I end up learning so much in the course of the weekend, too. And we all really get to know each other in a nice, intimate way. It's a great weekend. And, and um, so we have room for maybe one or two more people. Maybe we could squeeze them in. So if anyone is interested... <laughs> You go to my website, jmdmateus.com. You go to the workshop section. The information is there. There's an email address that you can write to me uh, through that email address, uh, which I can guess I can. It's Imagination Workshops, plural, Imagination Workshops at gmail.com. And I'll send you the information. And uh, it's in Kingston, New York, which is about two hours north of New York City and an hour or so south of Albany. And uh, okay. I, I've literally had people come from all over the world. I got somebody coming. I was amazed from Australia to take this class in November. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, that's, that's quite great. a trip. <laughs> that's yeah, right. Trip. Absolutely. I have to be really well, nice I'm to him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can spread yeah. the word. Uh, I want I wanted to ask too. You know, sticking with the topic of of connecting with readers and that sort of thing, have you found technology has changed the way that readers are able to sort of follow you? Because I know. When I was a kid, you know, if there was a story that I liked that I found, you know, in a dime box or something at the comic book store, and I wanted to read more by that author, it was just sort of, well, keep digging through the box and see if you right. see that name pop right. up again. But now, with, with Marvel Unlimited or DC Universe, it's, it's much more easy to find an author you like, put it in there, and, and just read the whole thing. So have you found that that's changed the way people are approaching well, your work at all? the change, I think, is even more than that. It's, it's that through social media... Uh, and the wall between creator and audience is paper thin now, you know, and, yeah. and that could be a bad thing. But for me, I found it primarily to, to be a very good thing so that people can reach out to you. You know, I remember being, you know, being a kid or a teenager and I'd read some, some comic book story or, or, or read a novel and I would write a letter, you know, it was, and of course mm -hmm. with comics, it was, that was part of the whole magic of comics was the letters page and you'd yeah, write yeah. a letter. And maybe it would get published, and maybe they'd answer you, and that was very exciting. You know, I had a right. bunch of letters published <laughs> in Marvel Comics back in the day. You know, and or oh, or the cool. you know when I was a little bit older, and I I read uh, Dandelion Wine for the first time, and it touched my heart and soul so much. I had to write a letter, Bradbury, and lo and behold, he wrote back, and that was just the most amazing thing. Oh, wow! But now you yeah. know through Twitter, through Facebook, people can just reach out. And uh, and I can reach back and we can talk to each other. And I think that's a phenomenal thing. Um, you know, yeah. I always say a lot of people have, the, you know, talk about their negative experiences on Facebook 
Um, I could count those on one hand, if not a couple of fingers. I find primarily, you know, that if you put out something positive, uh, you'll get positivity back. I know I see certain people mm-hmm. on, on Twitter or Facebook that seem to uh, actively enjoy getting into arguments with people. You know, oh yes, uh, yeah. yes we're familiar with those people. Says yes. something negative to them, and then they retweet it, and they comment back, and they get into a whole thing, and uh, <laughs> you know, and 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 you know. God bless him. You know, there's maybe there's a reason why they're doing that, and and it works for them. It doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work for me. First of all, I don't yeah. want to put out that negative energy, nor do I want that energy coming back into my life. You know, there's a, right. for me, there's yeah. enough negativity in the world that I want to <laughs> keep it positive. You know, that's why even getting into political things, and I'm fairly passionate uh, politically, but I'm I'm very careful about what I put out through Twitter or Facebook that, mm-hmm. that plays yeah. into politics. Because I don't need an eruption of insanity and negativity. You know? Yeah, certain things <laughs> yeah. it just may be. I may feel it's so important that I need to put it out there, but but I'm, yeah. I try to be careful about. It. Yeah, right. well, it's it's a powerful meeting medium yes. in both negative and positive yeah. ways. Yeah, and so. there you know, and there are people out there that, as we see, who just love. They just they just. It's like mm-hmm. it's like um, remember that old Star Trek episode, but that spinning light that was feeding off hatred. The Klingons and the yes. and the Enterprise are on the <laughs> ship, and they just keep getting them battling, and it's just feeding on it. And it seems like there are mm-hmm. certain people that just feed on that negativity, so that they just wait yep. for someone to slip up, so that they all come swarming mm-hmm. in and can tear that person to pieces. Like why? Why? <laughs> you know, it goes back to what we're yeah. saying about the villains. It's like you know, we need to we we. we we need yeah. to have, have more compassion and view these mm-hmm. things. We all make missteps. We all mis- make mistakes. We all screw up. Um, and I certainly screw up as much as I succeed, if not more so in my life, you know. Um, but, we, you know, we have, to, we have to bring a little compassion to the table. And I say that not as someone who's an expert at it, but someone who at least strives in my life to, to try to do that, you know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's that's the story on that one. <laughs> well, thanks so much for talking to us this morning. Sure. I, I, before we let you go, I, I wondered if you could if you could give us a little preview about maybe what you're working on right now or something. Yeah, you have yeah, sure. Upcoming. I'll, I'll, I know you've been doing more with animated yes, DC I'll movies. Get all the plugs things. in uh, in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of it. comics. The projects that I'm working on right now, I can't really talk about. But uh, what recently completed and came out is a, a book I did for Karen Berger's new line of Dark Horse uh, Burger Books, a series called The Girl in the Bay. It's sort of a supernatural time travel search for search cool. identity is a big theme in there um, story, um, and it just came out in a collected edition. I'm very very happy with the way that came out. And IDW recently put out a collection of another uh, new series that I did called Impossible Incorporated, which is sort of a Doctor Who meets Doc Savage meets the Fantastic Four cosmic adventures. <laughs> you know, also going back to a lot of themes we're talking about. Exploring the universe, what does it all mean? What is reality? And all these 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 big questions within the context of big cosmic adventure. And in terms of the animated work, um, what just came out, which I'm very proud of, that there's a there's a Wonder Woman animated movie called Wonder Woman Bloodlines. And I wrote, I wrote yeah. a short. Uh, it's the first appearance of Neil Gaiman's death character, I think, in any other medium. Uh, and oh, so wow. it's a it's a 20 minute short with with Neil Gaiman's death character, uh, beautifully directed by uh, Sam Liu. Uh, and I'm very, very proud of that. And coming coming up next year, there's also an Adam Strange short. I wrote a, a, a an animated movie that is an adaptation of the classic story Superman Red Sun. That'll be out probably in the first half of the year. Yeah, and, yeah. Exactly. Um, there will be on uh, the CW Seed, which is a CW streaming platform. A couple of years mm-hmm. ago, I did an animated Constantine series for them. Uh, now I've 
animated right. series with uh, the DC character Deathstroke called Deathstroke Knights and Dragons. And that first appears episodes on CW Seed, and then eventually, with added footage, it'll be released as a full-length movie on DVD and Blu-ray and streaming and all that. And last but not least, I've got a couple of episodes coming up on Marvel's uh, new Spider-Man animated show. The first one, I think, should be on within the next month or so, and then another one with oh. the next season in the spring. So a lot of stuff, and a lot of variety. Yeah, a lot of variety. And what's <laughs> nice about this this death story too is that it's very very different than any other uh, DC animated. Uh, project that i've seen or yeah. worked on in that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, with that character it and it's not fighting and it's not dropping building there's there's none of that right. going on anywhere in the story it's like a nice little talking about the twilight zone a nice little 20 minute twilight zone episode featuring, mm, featuring yeah. death and it turned out really really beautifully you just name dropped a whole bunch of characters that you're mm -hmm. working on is there is there any other characters that are on your to-do list have you gotten to all the ones that you used to dream of writing when you were uh you know a comic book writer or are there still some that you got to get your hands on? i've written especially when you include the animated work from you know right. i think i've written just about every character that i love but one thing i've been saying this for years that i would love to do with keith given and kevin mcguire is do the fantastic four with those two guys I think, you know, I think we would have a blast because there, you know, there is that humanity and humor to the Fantastic Four. There was always a, a thread yeah. of that. And then that big cosmic adventure and those two things together. I think yeah. we would have a great time working on that. And, you know, then there are characters that I love that I would always love to revisit, whether it's, you know, Doctor Strange or the Silver Surfer or any number of mm -hmm. DC's supernatural characters that I love so much. Um, Swamp Thing, you know, all, all those great characters. So, so yeah, right. they're, 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 you know. The great thing about about doing this is that once you sit down and engage with the story, something magical happens. You know, you connect with the story, you connect with the characters, and sometimes it's with characters that you don't think you have any connection to. I didn't, you know, I didn't really know that much about Deathstroke before I took on this series. You know, but then I read some stuff, and then you start to write it, and you 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 start to understand again these characters as people, and off you go. So sometimes it's the character that you're not even that interested in. That gets you really excited, uh, and that's and that's the yeah. fun of it because it's like getting to know a person, and you go, oh, oh, this person mm -hmm. is really interesting. Oh, I want to know more about this. Right off you go. So there's always some new door to be opened, and and whether it's an original idea or an old character, there's a you know a, a, that's the fun of what what I do. It doesn't matter how long I've been doing it. Each new project, I always say this, and I really mean this seriously. Every time I sit down to write on something new, it's like I've never written before. You know? <laughs> Facing a blank page, and yes, I have certain muscles and certain skills that I can bring to bear, but there, it's always brand new. You know, there's a uh, when I took uh, Tai Chi, I, I learned about a concept called a beginner's mind, where you approach everything as if you've never done it before, and that's you know keeps you innocent and it keeps your imagination mm -hmm. open. And and as a writer, you're always doing this. It's always beginner's mind. You're always starting with a blank page and something new, and that's why. You know, I'll keep doing this forever. There's no reason to stop. Well, good. We're all for okay. it. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> well, well, thanks again for your time this morning. We really enjoyed this conversation. I have to. Thank you so much. What a great interview. It really was. We we went in, in directions that I didn't anticipate, which is, uh, I feel like, is the hallmark of a good interview. So sure, uh, yeah. I was really interested to hear the insights of just how he interacts with his fans mm -hmm. and, and um, how, what he uses his writing mm -hmm. for to accomplish. And his really, class isn't too far from us. I know. I know. Absolutely. It's not. It's so, when you go and you pull up like a Wikipedia or just a, his, um, his, his bibliography, it is amazing to see mm -hmm. all the characters that he's managed to like touch over the years. I mean, yeah. he's really, 
like when we asked him the question, you know, about yeah. what you'd like to do, and he was kind of like, well, yeah. <laughs> so I know he's got a couple things on his Has list. Has anybody still, spotlighted but... X Men villain the blob? Yeah, the really? <laughs> seriously, because it really is. I mm -hmm. mean, it's everywhere. It's it's a really it's a vast uh, library of work. So mm -hmm. uh, if you haven't read his stuff, uh, we we've got some that we can get you right here in our library. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also readily available now, easy to find. Mm -hmm. So really encourage you to go out and do that. Yeah. Uh, we're really looking forward to the upcoming stuff he mentioned. So we'll be sure to snag some of that for the collection. Mm -hmm. um, real good time. Good times yeah. were had by all. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's going to do it for this special off the books episode. It sure is. Um, you can you can stay tuned on previously on X Men Eric's podcast that he does because we're going to do an interview. Uh, you and Hillary sat down and talked with him about. That's right. Yes, for previously on X Men the podcast I do with Hillary we talked J.M. DeMatteis about. He didn't spend too much time in the X universe, but he he wrote Iceman's solo mm -hmm. uh, miniseries, and it was the first time Iceman got a miniseries. He wrote on the X Factor book for a while, right after Peter David. Uh, so there were, there were some fun questions to ask him, and it uh, it also kind of went into different directions. Mm -hmm. That we talked about uh, the the writing process between a writer and an artist, and even like the letterer. Uh, and how that affects the book overall. So it was a fun time. So keep an eye out for that over on the Previously on X-Men podcast. And we'll be sure to share that on the All the Book Show Twitter Ooh. when that episode airs uh, coming down the road. But anyway. If, if you enjoyed this interview and you'd like to hear more or our full episodes, you can find us at the All the Book Show on SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, yeah. Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can We're find there. the All the Book Show where we cover book news, author news, and literary news. And several recently, we've done several other comic book authors as well. Steve Steve Englehart, Elliot S. Magan, Fred mm -hmm. Van Lente, mm -hmm. uh, plus lots of author interviews and, and fun spotlights. Hope yeah. you come over and join us on the All the Book Show. Ooh. Thanks again to our guest today, J.M. DeMatteis. Encourage you to check out his workshops and his upcoming work. And uh, we're going to sign off. So we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.